Good morning. Uh, grab a seat, maybe a second or two, next minute or so. And uh, it's great to get to see all this morning. It's great to be here, actually. And it's, as a matter of fact, it's an honor to be a part of the body of Christ. It is a privilege. It is a gift of God's grace. Amen? Amen. Not only salvation, but being part of the body of Christ is, is a gift from God. And uh, we're very appreciative of that. And we love the body of Christ. Because it's made up of those who love Christ and want to exalt Him with their lives, with their words, with their families. And so we're here this morning for that. This morning we're going to wrap up our series on the Christian marriage. Uh, so far we've covered the foundation, the purpose of marriage, which we really discovered in Genesis chapter 2 uh, with Adam and Eve and God's design for marriage as well as other passages. We also looked last week at the mutual duty of both the husband and the wife, the duties that they share together. This morning, we're going to concentrate and focus on Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. And Paul's focus here is twofold. He is focusing on the wife's duty to submit to her husband and the husband's duty and responsibility to love his wife as Christ loves the church. Let's stand together and read this portion of scripture again this morning. Once again, probably for the last time for a while, since we've been the last many weeks, we're going to read verses 22 to 33. This morning's different from the last two because we're going to work our way through these verses this morning. Okay? Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife must see to it as she respects her husband. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just praise you for this passage of Scripture. It teaches us about the gospel in the most important earthly relationship there is as a husband and a wife, and their love for each other. They're living together, they're being one in Christ. And Father, Paul spells out for us the Christian marriage and emphasizes our responsibilities. And so, God, we pray we'd be found faith. We want to be doers of the word, Father. Let's not just hear it, but work at doing it. And, and Father, the day and age we live in, it's hard, it's tough. And uh, Lord God, I pray this passage of Scripture would speak to each one of us. So we ask that the Spirit of God would take the word of God and transform us further into the Son of God. For your glory, Father, we pray. 
Amen. Let's go ahead and be seated. I want to begin this morning with an overall observation, a general observation of the text itself. I mentioned it last week, okay? And remember I brought up the law of proportion. The law of proportion. We have 12 verses here. But I want you to take note that out of these verses, only three are basically dedicated to the wife. By far the majority of ink... I won't say was spilled, but used in reference to the husband. Okay? That's just a simple overall observation of the passage that we are in this morning. Verses 22, 23, and 24 uh, talks about the wives and her duty to be subject to her husband. But 25 through at least 30 is reference to the husband. Uh, then again, verse 31 to the husband. And 33 is a summary statement, statement for both of them. And I thought about why would, would Paul do this? Why would the Spirit move Paul to pin more about the husband's duty than the wife? Because I believe it's foundational to the relationship. What is the husband's love? I really be, believe that submissiveness is a response to the husband initiating and loving his wife. Because I get that from the analogy of the church in Christ himself, right? Jesus, God first loved us. And our submissiveness to him, our yieldedness to him, is a response to what? His love. So, therefore, the husband's love is the initial foundational block, the cornerstone of this relationship upon which the wife responds to that love. It is the husband's love that draws his wife's attention to him. Just as Christ loves the church to himself, it is the husband's love that draws his wife to himself. Just as it's Christ's love that prompts you and I to surrender and yield to Christ's headship, it is the husband's love that prompts the wife to surrender and yield herself to her husband's headship. In other words, the wife's submission is not out of fear. It is not forced. But it is a natural response. We've got to think of submission that way. It is a natural response response to her husband's love, just like it's a natural response of the church to Christ's love. Okay? Now, that general observation, I thought it was very important to throw that out there at first, is give that general understanding of, of why so much attention was given to the husband's responsibility, his duty, in comparison to the wife, and I really believe it is because that love initiates, is the cornerstone of that whole relationship between a husband and a wife. In essence, putting more onus on the husband than the wife. Does that make sense? Men, men, wake up. Does that make more sense now? The onus is on us. I mean, the only reason why the church is alive is because of Christ and his love. Okay? The only reason why the church exists and it submits to Christ is because of his love. If Christ didn't come to give his life, we would never submit to him. We don't sit... Submit to Christ because he is purely judgmental and he is judge and he condemns sinners. We come to him because we know he loves us. That, that's the magnet upon which we come to him with a yielded and surrendered spirit. Likewise, the wife to her husband. Now, with that general observation in mind, I want us to walk through our text this morning. I have broken it down into three parts. Part number one is pretty obvious the wife's duty to submit. Be submissive to her husband. Part number two is verses, excuse me, 25 through 32. And that is the husband's responsibility to love his wife. And I take verse 33 as a summary statement. 
Nevertheless, verse 33, each individual among you also is to love his own wife, even as himself, and the wife of see to it that she respects her husband. Kind of like just summarizing that whole section right there. But let's begin by looking at the duty of the wife. Before we do, I always do this, <laughs> i got to say a few things about our contemporary view of submission. We've got to deal with that. We just don't throw the word submission out there in our contemporary culture without looking at uh, the contemporary culture and its view of submissiveness. And all I want to say is it's a couple of things. In an individualistic society that touts equality, okay, as the divine rule for everybody, a society that rebels also at the same time against authoritative structures, submissiveness has fallen on what? Hard times. It's been distorted and twisted to mean other things than what it is. And not only that, on top of that, we live in a society that rebels against authority no matter what. In the church, outside the church, governmental authorities, even authorities in the home. Children's rebelling against parents. It is natural for sinners to what? Rebel. That's what we do by our nature. Okay? Society looks at submissiveness as being weak. Well, if you tout submissiveness, then you're going to be oppressing people. It's oppressive. Let me say this. I was thinking about Peter's comment in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, where he calls the wife a, the weaker vessel. If he would post that on social media today, he would get blasted, wouldn't he? He'd get blasted for it. He would be labeled uh, a hater, mean-spirited, an oppressive person. Uh, you just know that. And uh, that's exactly what he says, how he describes the uh, wife in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. So I want to be clear to what submissiveness is, not what it is not. You look at our culture, you look at our society, and we see what it is not. But what is it? First of all, it's a willingness to place oneself under the authority of another. A willingness a wanting to, a desire to want to do that because there's this incredible element of trust there towards that person and love that is there. I and you do not mind submitting and surrendering and yielding to someone who I know loves me no matter what and cares for me no matter what. We don't mind that, do we? That's why we come to Christ. And second of all, being submissive, we know is a command from the Lord. When he says, wives, be subject to your own husbands, and when he says, husband, love your wives, these are not suggestions from God to his church. These are commands. They are imperatives. It's imperative that you live this way. It's imperative that you obey these commands. It's imperative that you have these attitudes. In other words, it's imperative that submission is one of the greatest qualities of the wife and love, the greatest quality of the husband in the relationship in order for that relationship, the marriage relationship, to exalt Jesus Christ. I'm going to say what I'm going to say now, what I say in the end, and that is this. The Christian marriage is the greatest billboard to Jesus Christ, to the gospel. It's the greatest living billboard, so to speak. So when your children look at mom and dad and how they interact and live and love and submit to one another, when they see them fulfilling and walking in that, okay, as God commands them, they are witnessing the, the church and Christ relationship itself. So think of the Christian marriage as the billboard, the billboard that says Christ dwells here in this relationship. So 
Actually, that's the last sentence I'm going to close with. So, you know, at the end when we get there, oh, I want that to be kind of like the bookends to our passage this morning. So, let's look at verse 22. Look at verse 22 because we're going to first three verses about the wife. Be subject to your own husbands. The key to understanding this is the last phrase. The last phrase. What does it say? As to the Lord. So if you want to know what submissiveness looks like towards your husband, it should look like your submissiveness to the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This means having the same attitude, the same quality, the same spirit, the same joy as you would if you were submitting to Christ or when you do submit to Christ. I have three observations from this one phrase. Number one, she must first submit herself to Christ. If she is to understand what it means to submit to her husband, she must, remember this is a Christian marriage. So this is a, this is a daughter of Christ, a daughter of God. She must first and foremost submit herself to Christ. And if she is cheerfully and freely submitting to him, she submits to her husband. Second of all, it's in her relationship with Christ that she is purged of pride and self so that she could be ready and made fit to submit to her husband. So what I'm saying is this. The key to submitting to your husband is your relationship with Christ. Your Submitting to your husband cannot be done correctly and appropriately in a way that is satisfying to the Father apart from your relationship with Christ. It starts there. Third, she views her duty of submission as that which is prescribed by God and therefore is an act of obedience. Because it pleases the Father. You don't do it to please your husband so much. You first and foremost do it because God is your Father, and this is what He wants of you. Forget what your husband wants for a moment. This is what God wants. We're going to talk about how difficult it is in just a minute, believe you me. Ladies, just okay, ease up. It's, gonna, it's really going to resonate. Come home in a minute, okay? So we see that. Second of all, in verse 23. We see the reason why they are to submit as unto the Lord. Verse 20, for the husband is the head of the wife. Look at the word for. That means here's the reason why. That's who your husband is. He's the head. The Greek word is kephale, and it means authority. It means authority. Okay? The word head carries with it the idea of he is your authority. Now, I didn't mention it earlier because I wanted to mention it right here. We talk about the idea of authority. Authority has fallen on bad times, and there's a reason. There's many reasons, but here's a big one I left out earlier. Because authority, the abuse of authority, I should say. That's what I want to get at, the abuse of authority. Makes it a lot more difficult to submit to in any relationship, right? The only one we don't have to worry about when it comes to abuse is our relationship with Christ. But your husband is not Christ. Okay? Well, that is, he too is a sinner. So that's why submission is falling on hard times, is because of the abuse of authority. For example, some husbands turn authority into tyranny. They rule over their wives with harsh, cruel words. They threaten, they curse, they yell, they scream, and even sometimes physical abuse. Both such things are perversions of God's design and desire 
for authority. That's not the authority that Paul's thinking about. That's not the authority written about in Scripture for the husbands. On the other hand, some husbands, oh, abdicate. They let go of their, their responsibility. They leave their wives unloved and unprotected. You raise the kids. It's an abdication of your authority in the home, husband. Oh, you lead our our family spiritually. No, it is the husband's responsibility to lead his family spiritually. As we see that clearly in Scripture, we'll see it a little bit later on in verses 25 and following. Both of those are perversions of authority. So what is it? What is this authority? What does it mean for the husband to have authority over his wife? i got a list of things here. Number one, we must understand that though we might neglect our duty as spiritual leaders and authorities in the house, though we might abdicate it, though we may neglect it and abuse it, and maybe even defile it, as husbands we cannot be released from it. God calls us to it whether we like it or not. Number two, the husband gets his understanding of authority from Christ himself. We don't look to each other, hopefully in the sense that we reflect Christ, but ultimately we get our view, our understanding of what it means to be authority, the husband in the house from Christ's relationship with his church. Here's another one. He too, that is the husband, must submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. He himself must be a model of submission. If you want your wives to submit to you, number one, you love them. Number two, you be a model of that. Right? Look at Christ. He wanted us to submit to him. He was a model of submissiveness to his heavenly father. You see the parallelism is going back and forth for the husband and wife and Christ and his church. Christ has been everything that he's asked us to be. Number three, he must embrace his role as coming from God himself. It's ordained. It's God's call. God's calling the wife to be submissive. God's calling us to be loving. Number four, he must be guided by the word of God. A man who is not consistently in the word of God will not be a loving man. A husband who is not in the word of God will be a lousy leader in his own So thus, he wants to get into the Word of God because he wants to be filled with the Spirit we learned in chapter 4 in Ephesians. Number five, his greatest desire is to seek and imitate Christ. That's his goal. He don't want to be an authority in the home just so he can say, I'm the authority. Can't look at me. Come on now. He has the attitude of John the Baptist that says, I must decrease. He must increase. You know, men, who our family needs, you know who our wives need more than anyone? Christ living in me. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. That's the idea of authority. May our wives be able to taste Christ himself when they are with us. He wants the husband, the Christian man, The Christian husband wants to treat his wife the way Christ treats his church. Let's go on to verse 7. The last phrase in verse 23 is next. I want us to look at that just for a moment. Notice what he says. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. 
Think of it this way. Christ is the big S. Okay? He is the Savior. The husband, the Christian husband in his home is the little S. He is the representative of the Savior. Think of it that way. He provides. He delivers. He cleanses. He washes. We, in a little way, represent what Christ has done for his church. Christ has provided salvation. Christ, uh, he, he gives. He sacrifices. All those things. And we, in a small way, are representative of Christ in our homes. This elevates marriage to a position that the world cannot understand or know. You see, here's what we're doing. Here's what Paul's doing. He's elevating marriage to the point of exalting Christ. That's what he's doing. It's not about exalting the husband. It's about the husband's responsibility to exalt Christ. And when that happens, it's a lot easier for the wife to submit to that loving authority. Okay? Think of it this way, Jesus is a big S, with a little S, husbands are to be the authority. Uh, however, Christ does have the final word, and that's why our wives want us to be in the word, because they know that the word is shaping us to be who Christ wants us to be with them. It also means just as Christ is the protector of his church, the husband protects his wife. Just as Christ is the provider for the church, we are the provider for our wives. We're to provide for the spiritual, physical, emotional, and intellectual nourishment and well-being of our wives. Which brings us to the next phrase. I had to say all that to get us to this last phrase in verse 24. Before we get to husbands, look what it says. Two words and everything. And the wives go, oh. <laughs> right? In everything. So, so men and, 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 and women, husbands and wives, we don't read this passage just at a glance. We don't read 22 through 24 without deeply and richly understanding the profanity of it as, as the Savior. It's as Christ, as Christ, as Christ loves his church. And so with that man, that husband, initiating with his love is the magnet upon which draws his wife to a willing submissiveness to his authority. Not forced, but natural. You see, our love for our wives makes their submission more natural. It goes from I have to to I want to. Do you understand that? That's what we want. That's what God wants from his children. He didn't like obedience and submissiveness and yieldedness from someone who, I'll go but go stubbornly. I'll do it but do it half-heartedly. I'll do it but with the wrong attitude. No, he wants all our, our whole being to be in on that obedience. He wants us on the inside and outside to be in harmony in our response to God. So when we obey Him, we do it joyfully. We do it happily. We do it with the right motives. We cherish obeying Him. The wife is to submit to the husband and everything. As long as he does not, listen to this, as long as he does not ask her to violate God's word, God's law, she is to submit and yield to His authority. But then I beg the question, as I'm sure we all have, what happens when he is not walking in the will of God? Write down and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. Because Peter addresses the question. 1 Peter chapter 3, 
verses 1 through 6. And then we'll look at 8 and 9. In the same way, verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 3, you wives be submissive. See, same context, right? Be submissive to your own husbands, not somebody else's, your own, okay? Just make that clear. That's probably a given, but have to say it. So that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, context, submissive to a husband, even if they're disobedient to the word, they're not walking in the word of God, or walking outside of God's will, they may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives. How do you respond to a husband who is walking apart from God, who is walking away from God? You want to win him, don't you? You love him. And you want to win him back. Without a word, but by behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste, respectful behavior, you still respect him. Even though he's walking outside the will of God, it is your responsibility to still respect him and to submit to him, even as long as he's not asking you to do something outside the word of God, because it is the ultimate authority. It is the authority over your husband. So when you see your husband's authority going out of whack or going in sinful ways, there's an authority that usurps him that dictates what you do. And if he's asking you to do something that's unlawful or unbiblical, you respectfully say, I can't do that. And here's why. You know God's word. You know we should do it this way according to this passage. I respect you. I love you. Do it with great love. Do it with encouragement. Here's what doesn't win a husband over. Nag, 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 nag. Right? Right? That's why he says, one without a word, but by behavior of their wives, observing your chaste and respectful behavior. Your chaste and respectful behavior will be a rebuke to your husband. This is a walk of trust, isn't it? I'm a wife. I've got a husband outside the will of God. But I still love him. I respect him. How do I win him over? Our tendency at that moment is to do it our way, the way I think best. i got to talk to him. I need to, pound, I need to be his Holy Spirit and just pound it on him until he responds the way I want him to. Peter's not saying that. He's saying you continue to respect her. You yield her as long as he's not asking you to go out bounds of God's word. Don't sit there and nag him, but be respectful. You want him to observe you chase and respectful behavior. That's how you win him. You win him God's way. Okay? We're reading God's way. Verse 3, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding of hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on a dress. Yes, look nice. Don't overdo it. Look nice. But what's more important is what your husband sees on the inside of you. Not just on the outside. Verse 4. But let it be the hidden person of the heart. With the imperishable quality. See the outward adornment is all perishable. But what's going on is God. Is God has molds and shaped your heart. The wife's heart into the image of Christ. It is an imperishable quality of gentle and quiet spirit. I tell you what. When wives are not gentle and quiet. with their husband, That doesn't mean shut up. It doesn't mean that. It means she's not constantly nagging. She can say things, she's free to say things, and to say things encouragingly, and even point out faults in his life. But if she's continually harping on him, he's going to do this. And oftentimes the husband will lose his temper. Right? Now listen to the last, last phrase of verse 4. Quality of a gentle, quiet spirit, which is precious. Who's looking? Who's got their eyes looking at that marriage? God, it's precious. This is what's valuable to God. Now, where do you get this, God? Well, Peter, what are you talking about? Back up to chapter 2. 
verse 21. Christ is our example. Christ is the wife's example. For you have been called, verse 21, for this purpose is Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return, while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That's exactly what he's, he's taking those truths, he's taking that character of Christ, Christ's example, and now he's applying it to the wife, the Christian wife, married to a Christian husband who's outside the will of God. He's saying, here's how you apply Christ, his example, in your particular situation, in your context, when your husband is out of whack, is walking outside the word of God. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Then he gives an example in verse 5, former women of old who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. And he gives an example in verse 6, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become their children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You've got nothing to be afraid of. You walk, continue walking in the will of God. You don't return sin with sin, is what, what Peter's saying here in this passage. But we tend to be that way. I tend to be that way. Right? If someone cuts me off on the road, I want to, and they sinned against me on the highway or on a regular road, and I want to get back at it. My first initial response is, well, I'll show them. I'll go up behind them. I'll tailgate them. You see what I'm saying? I'll give them a mean look in the cars. I'll pass you by. <laughs> You've never done that, have you? Not that frightening. <laughs> <laughs> It never works. To respond to sin with sin never works. And not only that, I mean, pragmatically it doesn't work, but even more importantly, it never magnifies the Savior, does it? And that's most important. I want to skip verse 7 because it's about the husbands. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to them in a little bit, but I do want to skip it, but not for any other reason than to get to 8 and 9. To sum up, Actually, verse 7 just flips it. It's basically a husband with a, a wife that's struggling, okay? So he just flips the context. Verse 8, to sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning, there it is, evil for evil, or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. You have a, a, a believing husband who's outside the will of God, not into the word of God. What does God call you to do? Still be a blessing, wife. Still be a blessing. Even though the world was rejecting Christ, he was still a blessing to the world. Amen? Right? Yes. Man, our ways are not God's ways, are they? And God's ways are our ways. So, I would say this. When it comes to physical abuse, I would hope a wife would be able to come to the elders and explain the situation and that we would address that situation. I know we would. In a godly manner. Because we would never want that to go on. If it continued to go on, we would ask or make a way for the wife to be relieved or move away from that horrendous situation. Right? Until that husband would repent and show the fruits of repentance to restore that marriage once again. And if he is unwilling... That would be an indication that he was most likely not a believer. 
that he, over a period of time, with great encouragement, was unwilling to change and repent from that. So there is a protective mechanism for any wife in this congregation that would go through physical abuse. We would never, ever want you to be alone in that situation or remain there if the husband is unwilling to change. Having said that, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 5 and look at the husband. Wow, I should split this into two sermons. All right. We just found out her main duty, just learned that her main duty is cheerful submission, a submissive spirit towards her husband as to Christ. And now we come to the foundation of that submissiveness, and that is the husband's love, verses 25 and following. What I have done is pulled out a number of characteristics or qualities of this love in verses 25 to 30. Let's look at the number one, sacrificial. Sacrificial, this love is sacrificial. I get this from he gave himself up for her, the end of verse 25. This is the kind of love. As Christ gave himself up, the husband gives himself up for her. This is what Christ did for the church. He spared no expense, in other words. He, he purchased her, and he paid the highest price he could, he could come up with, and that was himself. Thus the husband is to love sacrificially. He is to prefer her to himself, over himself, putting her interest before his, working for her good, promoting her well-being. This, this to love sacrificially means to love heartily. It means with a sincere heart, with a sincere heart. His love must be deep and real, and she must see it, she must sense it. It's as if you cut his heart open. You cut him open, and there his heart is laid bare. And on his heart, you see his wife's name written there. What a beautiful analogy. What I mean is we don't sacrifice small things so we can be nice to her and give her what she wants, but we, she knows better than that. What really communicates that I love her is when I give up things I hold too dearly. Let me give you an example. We both love camping, Dorothy and I. Okay? And we'll go out camping for like five days or six at least more when we were in New York than here. Anyway, we love camping and I love trout fishing. I could go four, five, six hours straight, walking up a mile or two of the stream, coming back, and I'd be lost in the wilderness just fishing in a stream. And I just I'm just alone with God, I'm fishing, and I'm just like, Woo, this is great. Meanwhile, back at the camp is my wife and kids. Well, after a while we had a conversation. <laughs> Why you leave me alone with all the kids all day long, half a day? To her, it was all day, probably. Right? You've never been there. I know husbands. Never been there. It's one thing for me to come back and say, Oh, honey, let me go get some of the supplies from the store a couple miles down the road. I'll help you that way and come back and bring them to her. As opposed to saying, You know what? Instead of getting up early in the morning and fishing half a day, I'm not going to go fishing at all tomorrow. Which one would communicate to her that I love her more? Going to get a few supplies for her? Oh, that's loving. <laughs> or giving up something she knows I dearly enjoy? This one, isn't it? This is just trying to appease her. This communicates a genuine, hearty love. Loving sacrificially means to love freely. It means to love freely. In other words, simply this, there are no strings attached, husband. You don't love her in order to get something back from her. 
And you know what I mean. As guys, you know, make audience, I'm going to be careful here, but a lot of times we try to manipulate to get what we want from her. Okay? Physically. Right? We got, we got to be careful. We want her to respond physically to us because, because she wants to, not because she's forced to, or if she feels bad if she doesn't, right? But because she knows she's profoundly loved, cared for. And so it becomes natural for our wives to be with their husbands in a physical way. So that oneness is real and not forced. So for a husband to, to love sacrificially means not only to love heartily, not only to love, it means to love, excuse me, freely. It does not love her for food, for what she gives or what she does, but rather because he has promised to love her. I love you because I married you. I don't care how you change, I'm going to love you no matter what. It's the big C word, isn't it, guys? The commitment word. Christ committed himself to his church. We commit ourselves to our wives. Verse 26, he loved in a holy way. It's a holy kind of love. The vision is his wife being sanctified. His vision is for her to be in the presence of Christ without wrinkle. So as Christ has this vision for his church, as husbands, we have this vision for our own wives. He seeks her sanctification. He is moved to cleanse her with the word of God. So they spend time together in prayer and in reading God's word. Do you know that the husband is, should be the primary means by which the Holy Spirit works in his wife? Yeah, yes, there's the church. But you spend more time together with your wife than anybody else. So, so when you're with your wife, can she answer us and say, yes, I've been fed by you? Those strings attached. Holy love. He seeks her spiritual well-being, her welfare. And he's an instrument in the hand of God that has a sanctifying effect upon his wife. And they should together grow in grace. And it's his love that makes her grow. If love is the soil upon which the seed of her faith begins to blossom and produce fruit. And we water her down. We water her faith with the word of God. And that's in there. Verse 27. This love endures to the end. Notice that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she would be holy and blameless. This has endurance to the end. Through all her struggles, all her setbacks, all her emotions, your love never fails. Listen to the Apostle John's description of Christ's love towards the disciples in chapter 13 of his gospel. John chapter 13, verse 1. Just listen to these words. You don't have to turn there. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. You know what happened later on in chapter 19? Peter denies Christ three times. You know what Jesus does two chapters later? He restores Peter because he never stopped loving him. You see, husbands, our love is to have a restoring love about it, isn't it? 28-30, his love is, an attentive, is attentive to her needs. It's an aspect of, of Christ's love towards us, the husband towards his wife. He is attentive to her needs. Verses 28 through 30. So husbands 
also to love their own wives as their own bodies. Is, here's, here's, here's Paul's point here. It's very natural. He's saying this, just as if you nat- just, just as you naturally meet the needs of your own body, you meet hers. You're one. There's no difference. You'll naturally get to meet her need just as if, just the way you meet your own. That's what he's saying there. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. The word nurture, nurture carries with the idea of tenderness, being gentle in the caring. Thus he nourishes his wife as he would himself, as he would put up with his own infirmaries, his own weaknesses, his own blemishes, and how he desires for people to be tender towards him when he makes mistakes. He likewise is tender towards his wife when she does as well. He tends to her wounds as if they were his very own. Isn't that beautiful? Why? Simply because he cherishes her. He values her. She is the jewel above all jewels. Question. Is your wife precious to you? I mean, do you love spending time with her? Do you love sitting down and talking with her? Is she your greatest company? Do you love being in her company more than any other person? That's what Paul's talking about here. That is the preciousness of, of the relationship, and it reflects Christ and his church. You see, what Jesus cherishes above all else is when his people spend time with him and sit down and pray with him and listen to him do his word. That's the analogy going on here. Beloved, this is how we bring Christ into our home. The Christian marriage is the billboard that says Christ dwells here. May our children see and may they savor that type of kind of relationship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for these, yes, wonderful living words of life. They are alive and they're speaking to us, O oh God. I pray that you would put in our hearts to want to walk in them, to obey them. Father, we love this kind of instruction because it results in the magnification of Jesus Christ in the marriage and in the home into a watching world that needs your son so desperately, Father. This is our call. You've called and emphasized submissiveness for the wife and loving headship of the husband. May we be found faithful. May we be motivated not just by fulfilling our duty, Lord God, but the result of fulfilling it is exalting the one we love above and beyond all else. And that is Jesus Christ, our Lord. May he truly be the Lord of our marriages. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.